Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. This week's episode of Writer Writer Pants on Fire is brought to you by the Old Timey Crimey Podcast, because the good old days weren't always so good. True crime from 1950 and before with Scott, Amber, and Christy. Tune in to the Old Timey Crimey Podcast if you want to know more about John Dillinger, New York City rioting over Shakespeare, the possibility of interdimensional werewolves, or the still unidentified victims found in Vermont over 85 years ago. Old Timey Crimey features true crime with a historical twist. With over 100 full-length episodes available now, as well as bonus mini-episodes. Tune in to the Old Timey Crimey Podcast, because the good old days weren't always so good. Join critically acclaimed author Aaron Bowman this February for Plotting with Revelations, a three-unit online workshop that can be completed at your own pace. Using essay lessons, examples from modern fiction, video facts, and downloadable worksheets, Aaron will show you how to utilize revelations, impactful aha moments that your hero experiences to reverse engineer their arc and create a roadmap for their emotional journey. Planning and executing a well-crafted character arc doesn't have to be a struggle. Register at embowman.com forward slash workshops by February 7th and use this podcast's special coupon code WRITERFIRE to save $100 off the workshop price. That's embowman, B-O-W-M-A-N.com forward slash workshops. Don't forget to use coupon code WRITERFIRE to get $100 off. We are here with Eliza Jane Brazier to talk about her debut novel, If I Disappear, which has uh, all kinds of different elements that interest me. First of all, being true crime and podcasts, and then also parasocial relationships, which are especially interesting in today's world. So why don't we just start off with you telling us a little bit about the book? It is a story of this woman who is like a true crime podcast fan, right? And she's kind of like adrift, like in her life, like she sort of doesn't feel like she has a place where she belongs, like things kind of aren't working out for her. But she kind of finds comfort in this podcast. And she sort of feels like this sort of connection to the host, you know, she sort of feels like a friendship. She also, I think it really admires her. So when the host goes missing, she decides to take it upon herself to go and look for this host. And she's going to use all the information and everything she's learned from listening to podcasts, figure out this mystery. So she ends up like diving into this. The host uh, lived in this like really rural location in Northern California, um, which is based on a real place. 
and she kind of goes in undercover in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by kind of creepy, suspicious people to try to solve this mystery. And of course, thrills ensue. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. One of the things that I've talked with thriller authors before on the podcast, and it's been a topic of conversation just among uh, friends before as well, is the heavily female readership, listenership, viewership for true crime material. It is a heavily female consumer content area. There's a lot of different theories about why that is. My own is that I feel like one reason we do this is just the age-old adage of uh, know your enemy. The more we know, the better we can protect ourselves or be more aware. That's my theory about why we do this, uh, combined with the idea of why we always look at a car crash. Deep down, what's going on there is you're thinking, oh, that's not me. And you have a sense of relief. Yeah, no, I think going along with what you say, um, and I think you'll probably agree, like women are, are much more likely to be victims of violent crimes or to have experienced trauma. So I think in a way it can be like a safe space to address that and to feel less alone. Like for me personally, I actually got into true crime and this is like going to be different in probably specifics, but I don't think necessarily in feeling. I got into true crime after my husband died and my husband's death was actually like an unlawful killing. Like I spent almost a year watching Datelines because there's nowhere, when you go through uh, trauma or things like that, there's really nowhere for you to talk about it. People don't want to obviously hear about it. They, they think it's, you know, sort of depressing and scary. That is like a place in a community where you actually can like talk about that stuff. So in a way it helps you to feel less alone. Um, and then I also think that, you know, there's an element seeking control. Like if I'm listening to a podcast, I know the bad thing's coming. Whereas in real life, it catches you off guard. So you feel like you're preparing yourself. And then I think that there is one other element that like came in for me a little later when I started to get into actually true crime podcasts, like my favorite murder or like crime junkie. I actually started to go to like live events. And that's when I first sort of experienced the community that surrounds true crime. And I think that, you know, that's obviously something that's come up in the last five to 10 years and very much from my favorite murder from Karen and Georgia and from who they are as people. They're funny. They're smart. They talk very honestly and openly about mental health. Because of that, that community reflects that. So you go to these live events and they're like joyful. They're warm. They're open. Like I went to one with my mom and we, because it was like sold out, we couldn't sit together. So we both were sitting in like different parts of the auditorium. Both of us talked to our seatmates, made immediate friends with them. You know what I mean? And that doesn't happen. Like if I go to a concert. So I think a huge part of it is that community. And it's really down to the women, the women who built that community surrounding that, you know, because otherwise I don't think it would be having this huge moment. My novels deal with darker material and as someone that even as a young child it's like I was always interested in the macabre and things that were darker and people didn't necessarily want to talk about or encourage me to be interested in and also I think there's still a little bit of that taboo if you're female should you really even be interested in this part of it makes me makes me wonder if there's a there's a big pushback there where we're like no where happens to us so yeah we're interested 
I was similar when I was younger that I was drawn towards like dark, dark stories. Like when I was younger, my earliest stories are like probably some of my darkest. To me, to not be interested or not be looking at it would be to sort of ignore and marginalize something that should, you know, be addressed. It's like what we all experience like as human beings is fear that we're going to die. <laughs> yeah. You know, it would be to me like putting on blinders and living in like la la land, like it's not the real world. It's yeah. important to address that and like try to, I guess, make it feel not as scary. The Writer Wrong Podcast is a chapter-based fiction serial that invites the audience to participate in the craft of storytelling. With a focus on original tales of the unexpected, host Patrick Emile presents bi-weekly installments of exciting audio plays, leads spirited discussion with a bullpen of diverse co-hosts, and ultimately offers two prompts of plot continuation. Listeners can vote online for what they feel is the strongest choice. Interactive and intense, you'll be hooked as the fiction unspools and intrigued by the commentary that provides a glance inside the writing process. Visit WriterWrong, W-R-I-T-E-R-W-R-O-N-G podcast.com. So you touched a little bit on how speaking about conventions and going to events where true crime or uh, themes like that are the topic. And you talked about the immediacy of having these friends where you can just meet someone. And it is true. Like everyone there has this shared interest and it is very easy to have conversations and to have things pop up. I I know just from attending so many writers conventions um, as a speaker, but then also as an attendee over the years, you know, you can just turn to the person next to you and say, so what do you write? And you have an immediate conversation. Mm -hmm. So speaking of like those relationships in a very real and flesh and bone face to face interactions, moving that then into the parasocial relationships, which so many of us have, Why don't you talk a little bit about that and how that idea plays so deeply into the plot? Yeah, I mean, so this is like an interesting thing, because like whenever I wrote this book, I didn't know what a parasocial relationship was. Like I'd never heard the term. So my publicist reached out, oh, you know, you could write about or talk about parasocial relations. I was like, yeah, for sure. And then I like quickly looked it up. Um, But yeah, so what it is, is it's like the relationship kind of between like a celebrity or like a public person, I guess, and their audience, right? So for example, like you and your listeners, right? So you talk to them, you tell them things about yourself, sometimes even personal things, and they feel like they know you like your friends, but you in many cases don't know anything about them. So it's like kind of a one-sided relationship. With this book, that relationship is at the center of the novel. So Sarah, the protagonist, has this relationship that's very intense with Rachel, who is the missing woman. She sort of feels that she knows her. And I think it was kind of like an interesting thing to explore because I guess like in those relationships, who are you actually seeing? I think I know you, but I've never met you. Am I projecting myself onto you? It's, it's really a reflection of the self. So I think it's either I'm projecting my own self and my own feelings onto you, or I'm projecting the person that I need, the friend that I need to have. So I think that like for Sarah, there's times when it's both of those things. There's times when she looks at Rachel and sees herself, like she thinks, well, what if, if I disappeared? 
would anyone look for me? Because she feels like no one cares about her. So when Rachel disappears and it seems like no one cares, she has this intense personal connection to that kind of feeling. And she's like, I'm going to be the person that cares. And then there's other times, I think, when she sees Rachel as the person that she wants to be, like as somebody who maybe doesn't care about fitting in the sort of social norms that Sarah feels pressure to conform to. But then I think also, if you look at like any relationship, they're all a little parasocial because you don't really know anybody. Like as we true crime fans know, you really don't know anyone. It's really fascinating because I know, for example, I wear so many different hats in my life. And I've told uh, people before, you know, Mindy McGinnis, the author that you come see that speaks and interacts, like she has a certain way. When I am Mindy McGinnis author, I've changed when I drive somewhere, when we used to do public events, you know, I would take that drive. And of course I'm alone in the car and the very essence of your true self alone in the car, you know, for however long (laughs) that lasts, like, you know, I could be in the car for like three or four hours and I get to where I'm going and I'll just sit there for a second. And it's like, all right, you got to switch. Like you got to flip into Mindy author. You have to be like more confident. That's like the hard thing I think about, for at least to me, about like doing like public events is that like normally I'm like not confident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't want to start like sitting there like spiraling in front of people's. No, you got to walk in there. You got to walk in there confident. I agree. And I, I'll give myself a little pep talk. Sometimes I just roll like the first like eight or 12 bars of the Indiana Jones theme in my yeah. head. Yeah. Because you're like, yeah, yeah I got this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have the tiger. You're just, just running in there, man. You know, I remember when I was younger and I would have crushes, you know, when I was like <laughs> junior high, early high school, and I would have crushes on movie stars. So this would have been like the 90s. And I had the biggest, just oh. most irresponsible crush on Christian Slater. Oh, my I God. just... We were getting married and that was that, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm like the same man, but I like kind of took it one step further because when I was younger, you know, I lived in Southern California and then I also like would go to a lot of concerts. So I would right. go to like concerts and I think this is my community. These are my people. Find a way to sneak backstage and meet these people, pretend I didn't know who they were because I was like, that's the only way they're going to be friends with me. That's how I met my late husband through like showing up at some concert and being like, I don't know who you guys are, but we're all going to be friends. I know we are yeah in Ohio we don't really have access to any famous people if Christian Slater was on like the tonight show or good morning America or like I would not miss it and I would tape it like on my VCR felt like I knew this man because he would sit and talk to you know Jay Leno or whoever I know everything about him and he told this story about getting a root canal and he likes to play <laughs> Nintendo. I yeah. can still tell you his birthday just because it was just grounded into my head. It's like super fucking weird. I don't yeah. know. And now as an adult, it's like, you have no idea who that man was. That's the thing too. I guess like the continuation of like my story is like when I would actually meet these people, like I would be wildly disappointed. It's funny when you're a kid, I think it's so much easier to like believe that you do kind of, and then you, and then you realize you're like, okay, no, that's like a presentation. So I substitute in the local school district. I, I worked there as a librarian for 14 years and uh, now I substitute 
because I'm able to write full time, but with COVID, they're just dying for help. So Mm -hmm. I substitute and I'll cover anything from fifth grade to seniors. So I have professional teacher substitute, Mindy, that has to have even different sections inside of that. It's like the substitute that walks into fifth grade is very different from the one that walks into a room full of seniors. I definitely compartmentalize my personality and I'm not like really famous. So I can't (laughs) imagine being very famous and how, you know, the decisions that you make about what you share and what Mm -hmm. you keep for yourself. Images and stuff are very like controlled in a way too. It's like a product you're selling. So sometimes it's like, it's very different from what is the reality? My ex, he told me once, cause he, he came with me to one of my events and we were together for like 12 years, but he came with me to one of my events one time. And he's like, it was weird for me because it wasn't even like you up there anymore. He's like, you were different. You were complete. You were a completely different person. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, that's cause you get the real me, you know? And he's like, I'm not <laughs> sure I like author you. Oh my goodness. Wait a minute. Yeah, Good thing well, he's his ex. He's my ex. Yeah, I'm doing an event tonight with um, another author who's actually like my sister-in-law. And I was thinking, I was like, this is going to be weird. Am I being author, Eliza? Or I don't think I have as, as clear maybe of a distinction as somebody like yourself who's been in the game for a long time. I actually did an event. This was funny. My sister is an English teacher at the high school. And I did an event where they took um, different English classes from different schools in the area. I was doing my presentation um, and I was author self, which my sister and my coworkers had actually never seen before. And there was a kid in the audience who had the same last name as, as we do, my sister and I. And we had through the course of like moving through local sports and stuff like that, his name would come up. And I'm really interested in genealogy and she is too. And so we were always like, oh my gosh, are we related to this kid? And we would talk to each other about it. And he was in the audience and we didn't know it. And I'm doing my thing and I'm being, you know, author Mindy. And then I'm taking questions and this kid raises his hand and he's like, hey, we have the same last name. And I just stopped hardcore, like hit a brick wall, pointed at him and looked at my sister and went right there. It right there, you know, and <laughs> and everybody else was just like, "What the what? fuck is going on?" And my sister said, "Oh my god!" And we're just making "Oh my god" faces at each other, oh, and so no one knows what's going on. And I'm like, "Sorry guys, sorry guys, that was a personal moment." Yeah, I couldn't control myself. <laughs> Let's talk about you mentioned Northern California and the fact that you chose to set this in a very rural area. I always write rurally because that's how I. Uh, live and how I grew up. And uh, very often I have people that are like excited to read something that isn't set in the suburbs or in the big city. So how much of the rural setting tied into just plot necessity for you? So I'd been living in England for like 10 years and I was married and then my husband died um, and I moved back to America and I got a job at like a dude ranch in Northern California. A lot of that is like pulled from reality. Like I went to this place and I was thinking, you know, I'm going to have this like magical healing summer, like working with horses. It's going to be like this, you know, idyllic like paradise. And I got there and like right away I was like, oh, (laughs) this is not what I expected. It's like the kind of place, especially in California, you're like, you don't think that it really exists anymore. Like it's so inaccessible. 
And there, yeah. there's so few people and the people that are there have been there for usually a long time and also are usually there kind of for a reason, like they don't want to be around other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it was just like this really intense setting, like a psychological experiment, because like when somebody would get paranoid or scared, like it would escalate so much and people would tell these scary stories. I only lasted there for six weeks before it literally got to the point where like someone crossed the line and I was like, okay, I actually have to leave because this is literally dangerous. I took like all of those kind of feelings from that like very unique, intense experience and put that into the book. So I definitely pulled from my actual experiences in that place. But then I, you know, I put obviously populated the world with fictional characters. All my friends in the publishing world, you know, most of them live in, if not directly in big cities, they live in um, at least the suburbs. And a couple of times when my friends in the, that are writers have come to visit me or stay with me, they have just been like, oh my God. Because, I mean, it's not as rural as like Northern California or a desert setting, but, you know, my nearest neighbor is a mile away. How I grew up, it's what I'm used to. To me, there's nothing weird about it. But one of my good friends that came to stay with me a few years ago, she grew up in Miami and then she lived in Chicago. And Mm -hmm. I picked her up airport and, you know, we were just chatting and driving out of the city and, you know, we get off the freeway. And she's like, oh, man, you really do live in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, dude, this road has paint on it. Like, this is still (laughs) the city as far as I'm concerned. And she's just like, what? Yeah. And so it's like we get out where I live and she was like, all right, I'm sorry. I don't want to sound stupid. She's like, how do you know where you're going? And I was like, what do you mean? Because it was night. And she's like, there's no street light. I can't see any signs. And I'm like, dude, I know where I'm going. I live here. Nobody is here if they don't live here. Being outside, she practically ran into the house. And I'm like, dude, what's up? She's like, it's so dark. Yeah. It's scary to be surrounded by all this like space. Yeah. (laughs) If you're not used to it. You know what I mean? Like you just feel like you start to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so small and the world is so big and I'm really scared. (laughs) And that's how I feel when I go into the city. Tying into that idea of uh, isolation, do you think that uh, this book is going to tap into some pandemic experiences? I don't know. That's like an interesting thing that I obviously would never have anticipated. But I do think like, for example, when we talked about parasocial relationships, I certainly have more podcasts and vloggers that I listen to now than I ever did before, especially like in the very early stages of lockdown um, Mm -hmm. in LA when it was like, oh my gosh, the world's ending. And like, I didn't have my puppy yet that I would like listen to their like vlogs, like their, you know, mundane updates every day of like, I got coffee. I like looked out my window. Um, And it's like, I am invested in those people and I will forever like associate them with this whole thing. And I'll always like want well for them, even though I and one of like, you know, 50,000 people who watch their show. Yep. So I definitely think that maybe people will like get it more than they might have otherwise. Last thing, why don't you let listeners know where they can find the book, If I Disappear, and where they can find you online? Well, so I think the book is in bookstores. Um <laughs> I hope, um, which I know our hearts get to right now. So, but there's uh, Barnes and Nobles, like Amazon. I, I think it's always great to like check with your indies. Yeah. And then online, 
Twitter, Instagram. And yeah, like reach out and say hi, man, because I, I love to, to talk to people. Um, that's like a really fun part is, is being able to like, I guess, open up your community and expand your horizons. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.